if you'll be turning to Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse 3. In that section, God's word says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he's chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose." which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. God, again, uh, we pray that you will bless the reading of your word. This is inspired, uh, holy truth where we are able to come together and even in this moment ponder and meditate on the the amazing spiritual blessings that are ours by grace in Jesus Christ Lord we are reminded again that one of the purposes of us receiving these blessings is so that we can walk a holy and blameless life Lord help us not only uh, recognize that truth as a positional truth in who we are in Christ, but as a practical day-by-day experience of striving to become more like Jesus himself. We thank you for the great time of worship we've had in song. We look forward with anticipation, not only now the reading of your word, but the preaching of it. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So do any of you guys like puzzles, like the wooden jigsaw puzzles? You guys like those? Yeah, a few of you. See, that's what I think. I think you can divide the world into two people. Uh, those who like those and those who think they're torture. I happen to be on the torture side of the puzzle debate, uh, but my mom likes puzzles. And so uh, if I go to my mom, she's usually got one laying around somewhere that she's working on. And I always try to find one piece per puzzle. That way I can say I'm a good son who helps. 
So this is what I do. All right, so I, I want you to kind of catch an image of something because it's going to help you through the day. Everybody approaches a puzzle the same way. They take out all the pieces and they spread them out. And when I say everybody, I don't need the one of you who's like, no, I blindfold myself and draw them out of a bag to make it more difficult. You're weird. All the normal people lay the pieces out so they can see everything, right? And then from there, they begin the work. What we're going to do through much of this morning is just lay out the pieces as we begin this study of Ephesians. And so it's a great Sunday to take a lot of notes, write down questions, make observations. And when I say we're going to lay out the pieces, I really don't just mean it won't even feel direct. It might feel random at times because there are, there are doctrines, there are thoughts, the counsel of Scripture that feeds into the way we should read this letter. And we're going to try to lay out some of those. And we've got plenty of time. These verses that Pastor David just read, we're going to spend the next three weeks unpacking just that section. By the way, those 12 verses are only one sentence in the Greek. This makes me feel a little bit better about myself in the sense with Paul, he too can just run on a sentence for a really long time. So we're going to be there, but I just want to kind of get, ask you to brace yourself, take good notes, and let's just lay a foundation. Get some of these pieces out on the table so that week after week, through the study of this great letter, we can just kind of pull them back up easily, all right? The first one that I want to give you, the first thought, goes all the way back to Exodus 3, and you just sang it. Moses asked God, what's your name? You want me to go back to Israel, you want me to go back to these Hebrews, and you want me to tell them you sent me, so what's your name? And in chapter 3, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. See, before you frame me, before you categorize me into some name and try to limit your understanding into some box that you can register and get your arms around. No, you need to understand something. I am. I am. God would be known to Israel as Yahweh. I am who I am. We sing hallelujah, praise to the God who is. He is. Later in Deuteronomy 6, in the Shema, he introduces himself to Israel and says, the Lord, your God, is one. One. What's the point? God is supreme. He is supreme. And it is this revelation that God is, that there is one creator, one sustainer of all life, one supreme God that defines creation, all of it, absolutely. He is the source definition for all things. All things are sustained, kept by him. And so I want you to keep this in mind, and I want to ask you a question. Do you want to be encouraged? Do you want to encourage others? Now think about that for just a second. I think we pretty quickly go, yeah, I mean, I, yes, I want to be encouraged, and I want to encourage others. But there's a little bit deeper question here, and it asks how. 
How do you think that happens? How are you encouraged? How do you encourage others? Do you want truth that aims your will? Do you want to be encouraged? Or do you want lies that affirm your will? Do you want to feel encouraged? See, think about it. After the holidays, when you're you know, you're a little insecure and you're focused on your appearance after eating a little bit too much pumpkin pie. Do you want someone to say back to you, you are the most beautiful person on the planet? Do you want to feel encouraged? Or do you want them to say back to you, you are created by God for God. Your identity and value is fully in him. Do you want to be encouraged? Do you want truths that aim you, or do you want lies that affirm your will? See, that's harder than we think. In our sin nature, in our pride, in our self-centeredness, that's harder than we think. And I, I really, I think, it's funny, I think the Lumineers kind of summarize this in their song, White Lies. They say this, I, I don't want you to forget, just pretend that it never happened. And it's just a little white lie. And it's just a little white lie. If it's all the same to you, then it's just a little white lie. Let's just pretend. God told Jeremiah that the false prophets heal the wounds of the people lightly. They encourage them with lies. And as we study Ephesians, listen, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be encouraged, not lightly, not with some kind of deceptive flattery that bends to your will, not with shallow cheerleading, right, within your insecurity or your pride, but I want you to be encouraged with the revelation of who God is. And that we would see who we are called to be through that reality. See, this is the type of encouragement that Paul wanted for the Ephesians. Paul had experienced life with these saints. He, he knew them. Paul stayed almost three years with them. He knows them. And he now writes them from a prison cell. And the tone, like as you read these verses, listen, the tone is not some corporate top-down orders from the apostle. Paul, inspired by the Spirit, writes to his own. He shares memories with them, gospel investment with them. He cares, he loves them. Consider Acts chapter 20 before Paul leaves Ephesus after being there, like I said, for almost three years. He said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time. From the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Paul's saying, I lived life among you. He says in verse 20, how I did not shrink back 
from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. He goes on in verse 29, he says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. He lived with them. He lived among them. He cared for them. He shepherded them. It goes on in verse 36. Listen to the reaction. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that he would not, or that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship and sent him off. So don't get it twisted. The type of encouragement Paul gives to the Ephesians. It is not academic, it is not cold, it is not intellectual or boring. It's genuine. It's real. It's loving. He knows these people, he cares for these people. And so for the next three weeks, we kind of see the beginning of this in verses 3 through 14. I told you these 12 verses are one sentence in the Greek. It's one connected thought. And just a reminder, this is one letter, and if you haven't already, I want to encourage you this week, just read through the whole letter. Just sit down and just read through it. But these verses here in 3 through 14, it's not some kind of just soft introduction or some kind of general like pleasantry. I, sometimes I think we're accustomed to that, and we just think that the beginning of anything is just kind of this lead-in. I mean, it's like Pastor West will send me an email, right? And it'll go, Dear Daniel, comma, I hope you're having a wonderful day. How was your lunch? I was wondering if I could borrow your stapler. And I get this, and I'm like, I ate lunch with you. I talked to you 10 minutes ago. Just ask for the stapler, right? I, I don't do real well with these things. I try. I'm awkward. I mean, it's probably why Wes is more likable than me. Thank you for being patient with me in this stuff. But I want to make sure you catch this warning because this is important. This sentence, 3 through 14, it isn't some general introduction. This is the foundation. It is the heart of the letter. It is the doctrine, the truth claim for which the letter finds its authority. And listen, we got to be honest with ourselves. We have this propensity to dismiss, to be casual with doctrine. We dismiss it as intellectual, which is really just twisted code for it isn't practical. We dismiss it as boring, which is, again, just twisted code for eh, it isn't personally, personally relevant. It's not, it's not my thing. It's not for me. We dismiss it as advanced. Again, twisted code for it's extra. It's beyond me. It's beyond what I need today. 
Listen, we dismiss doctrine because we want to lower the Creator's absolute authority and raise or hold on to the illusion of our own personal authority. I, I saw this, I, I heard this ad, I was listening to a podcast this week, and it, it was a sports kind of podcast thing, and this ad comes on for women in sports, and, it, and its whole like, tag was this, girl, you're limitless. I mean, you're not. It might make you feel like you are, but I assure you, you're not. See, we have exchanged authentic, true encouragement for cheap, shallow illusions. And Paul here encourages the Ephesians not with emotional or experiential pleasantries, listen, church, but with sound doctrine with the very revelation of who God is. See, sound doctrine isn't the final leg of the race for the advance if you make it that far. No, it is the ground in which the race is run. Jesus' followers, by faith, acknowledge God is the absolute authority. His word is truth. He is the source definition. All value, all worth, all purpose is set by him. We exist for him. Life is in him. And as we grow into a deeper understanding, listen, here's what is happening. Our grasp of this only deepens. See, God is the ultimate big truth. Those of you at Tri-Cities, you're used to those terms. God is the ultimate big truth. Everything else is an implication of who he is. Who God is determines the definition for everything. How we define ourselves comes from our understanding of who God is. And while this is deep, listen, it is accessible. Even in our family discipleship plan in preschool, we begin with something called foundations, which are just doctrinal revelations, or I mean, uh, uh, doctrines, like uh, revealed truths about who God is. And I don't know if you've ever noticed how they're framed, but all of those preschool foundations are framed like this, God is, God gives. God gives love because God is love. God gives life because God is life. See, in preschool, we're not just teaching some kind of social morality, but a response to who God is. That is the foundation. In other words, don't love others because you want people to love you. No, listen, love others because God loves others. It's who he is, therefore it is who we should be. It's built around him. And yet in our flesh, in our pride, we want to resist those truths, those doctrines. We're satisfied to remain simple. If you were here with us in our study of Hebrews, sluggish. We'd rather deceive ourselves and aim our emotions with lies than turn to and submit to revealed truth to be encouraged say why does this happen listen this is really important for our study 
Because our lies let us add Jesus to our will. But truth calls us to submission, to walk, to live according to our calling, to set, which is set according to his purpose, his will, who he is. Like, consider this again. Again, and this is another puzzle piece. We're just unpacking it. We're going to lay it all out. Consider what it is to have authentic, grace-fueled, saving faith. You get a picture of that in Acts chapter 19 here in Ephesus. I told you Paul spends about three years there. And God uses this time to spread the gospel all through Asia. You can read about this in chapter 18 through 20 in Acts. Like other biblical examples of conversion, it changed their identity. So in Acts chapter 19, we get this just really incredible account. I want to read it to you. A man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to Artemis, which is a god at the center of worship in Ephesus, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth, from making these idols. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. And she may even be deposed from her magnificence. She whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged, and they were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. This is the Ephesian culture. Artemis is the Greek name for the goddess that's there. The Romans would call her Diana. But I want to make sure you get something. This is the center of worship in Ephesus, and it's more than even that. It's the center of their culture. There was an incredible temple. I mean, it was big and it was elaborate. It stands out as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. There were festivals and traditions. Their economy, did you hear it? Their economy is built around this. People would travel in from all over to visit the temple. It was their identity. It was what their grandma did. You might have went to your grandparents for Thanksgiving dinner. They went for their festivals. It was their identity, and it was big. And you don't have to understand everything about it, but at least for the moment, contextualize it to yourself and to our culture. There is in us a personal sense of pride and identity, of tradition, 
It is a standard sinful response to make much of this world and our preferences, our traditions. And so there was an accusation made against the saints in Ephesus. You are threatening our culture, our way of life, our heritage. Paul, these saints are threatening our identity. Now church, I want to make sure you catch something because this is important. I don't know that we live much like this today, but I want you to notice they were. They were. They were threatening their culture. And this isn't a new response within Scripture. Following Jesus is turning from the old identity to a new identity in Jesus by faith. We're going to read about this in Ephesians chapter 2. Faith, authentic faith, is inseparable from repentance. Conversion leads to submission. And this isn't new. This goes all the way back. Consider Job's response to the revelation of who God is. Job, most likely the first book that we have written in our Bible. And Job says in chapter 42, verse 1, after going back and forth with the Lord, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. In other words, you are God. You are sovereign. You are supreme. You are the great I am. Verse 3, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? God had asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with their ignorance? And here Job is kind of like, yeah, that was me. He goes on, therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Job is saying, I do not have the answers. You have all the answers. You have all the authority. You define all. I have nothing to tell you. I will ask, and you tell me. And in verse 5, he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of ear, but now my eye sees you. So what's Job's response to the revelation of who God is, to the great I am? Verse 6, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now that I see you, I see myself for who I am and I submit. This isn't just Job, we just got out of Hebrews, we're reading through like that list of faith, and in 11.31 it says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Do you know who did perish with the disobedient? The entire city and community she lived in, minus her family. She committed cultural treason. It was the working of her faith, according to James chapter 2. She walked away 
from her old identity and took on a new identity. And you say, well, that's just the Old Testament. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 59. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back. Or no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 17, 31, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, Jesus, follower, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, this understanding of even what it means to have authentic faith in Christ Jesus is essential to our study of Ephesians. It is what the work of the Spirit looks like in the life of an authentic Jesus follower. And Paul is writing to these faithful saints in Ephesus, and he is encouraging them with the doctrine of who God is, the very revelation of who God is, not who they are, who he is, so that that would inform who they are. He's charging them, see your existence in the one true supreme God. And it is with this absolute God that we've been unpacking. It's with this supreme authority that Paul begins in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 3 begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, specifically the Father, is to be praised. He is worthy of your praise. He is worthy of your worship. He is worthy of your life. And sometimes it's important to notice what isn't there. There is no qualifier, nor will you find one in the verses to come. If your life is hard, if you're suffering, this does not change the reality of who he is. Who God is is not qualified by who we think we are, what we feel, or what we experience. He is the creator we are 
are the creation. And this runs into a lot of our modern confusion around authority. We like to think that truth is qualified by our emotional experience. If I don't feel that it is kind or loving, then it isn't. If I don't feel affirmed, then it isn't caring. This is a confusion of authority. Why? Who defines such things? There is only one God. He is worthy of the praise of our life. He is worthy not by our authority. He is worthy because of who he is. He is supreme. And yet in all of his glory, he has blessed us in his son. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. I love the way James breaks this down. James chapter 1, he says in verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now listen to the parallel. You'll catch it, verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. And so just be careful that you don't just leave and like your response is like, hashtag blessed, I got a bunch of stuff. Uh Paul's point isn't the list of secondary outcomes. They're great. Rather, the gift, the blessing, is Jesus. It is in him. He is the source blessing we see in Jesus or through Christ 12 times in this one sentence. Why? Because in Jesus is every blessing. Listen to the way John says this in John chapter 3. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Not some things. In Jesus, all things. And whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Paul breaks this down to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is Lord of all. Verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And here in this section, you can go through some commentaries, you can break it down, you kind of have a little bit of a list 
that's happening with some of these spiritual blessings. But for our sake this morning, these blessings are eternal blessings. Blessings for the soul. For the soul. They're being kept for us in Jesus who currently sits at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places. That gets unpacked there in uh, chapter 1, verse 20 in Ephesians. And it's important. This is important because watch, be real. Have you ever felt a little less than blessed? We don't always feel blessed. Have you ever been deceived? To wonder if you somehow missed out? Do you want to be encouraged? Listen, Jesus' followers are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Could you be any more blessed? little Chandler shout out for you there. Really, catch it. Next time you're suffering, the next time you are depressed, the next time you have turned your eyes and your attention back to your pride and yourself and the circumstances of this world, remember, Jesus' followers are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. All of them. And every blessing is eternally secure. Not in you, watch. In Jesus It's worked and sustained by him, which is yours by his grace, his glorious grace. And so one of the applications for today that should happen in so many of our lives is you should begin to prayerfully affirm this truth. To pray, Father, I know I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus. Blessed be your name let's keep going and again take note of Paul's encouragement Paul's not using light words or cute stories Paul's going to these truth claims that the Jesus follower can be transformed by the renewing of their mind and we pick up again blessed with every spiritual blessing verse 4 even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him before the creator spoke the world into existence he chose us now be careful before you start building systems for god and boxing him in to your limited understanding consider the words he said to moses i am who i am god is supreme god is sovereign he is one His will is not threatened, and his control is not in question. And so Paul is saying, God, the one true sovereign God, God chose to bless you in Jesus with every spiritual blessing. You did not choose it. You did not earn it. You did not take it. When the choice was made, you, nor the creation that surrounds you, was. But the supreme God, the great I am. He was, he is, and he is to come. He 
chose to bless you with his son. And this leads to the question, why would he do such a thing? And Paul supplies both the purpose and a motive here. Look at this purpose, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Left to ourselves, we are broken and guilty, sinful. Left to ourselves, we are dead men walking. But in Jesus, we have been set apart into his holiness, into his righteousness, into his standing. Why did this happen? Look at the motive. In love. He goes on into verse 6. He can remember this is one continuous thought to the praise of his glorious grace. Consider John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. He chose to call you out of your condemnation, out of your guilt, out of your death, according to his love, according to his will, to save you through his Son, to give you life. Why? To the praise of his glorious grace. We exist for him. He is God. He is the creator. We are the creation. John continues this thought all the way into 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, and he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's, God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, the great I am, the supreme God. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See the parallel to the holiness, to the blamelessness that is in Jesus Christ? This happens in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Paul references this point. He predestined us. It literally means he predetermined or appointed beforehand. In love, he appointed your adoption to himself according to his will. Not according to yours. According to his. And to picture this, he uses this beautiful picture of adoption. And when we come back next week, that's where we're going to pick up. And we're going to see this picture of adoption lead us into a description of redemption. What I want to do for you at this moment is I just want to ask you to just set aside every distraction for a moment and consider the great I am. He is God. He is sovereign. He is supreme. We did not choose him. He chose us. In his love for us, he sent his son 
who took on our sin and died in our place, that through faith we might have his life. And in that life, every spiritual blessing. What a God. He is good. How do you respond to such a God? Paul is going to lead us there in this great letter. And in chapter 4, he's going to say, then walk according to that which you have been called. You were dead, and now you are alive in Jesus. You had nothing, and now you are joint heirs with him, and you have it all. Let us walk accordingly. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are a great God, and you are worthy of our praise. Lord, lead us into a time of response. Give us wisdom. May your spirit overwhelm us this morning with the revelation of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray.